Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Another, another foul on board. This third for setting a screen. Because of physical play, although George Taylor just got caught with a moving screen. Izzo dying for a moving screen. That dreaded moving screen. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Moving Screen Podcast. I'm Brendan Quinn from The Athletic, here with Dylan Burkhart, UM Hoops. Dylan, Big Ten Media Day behind us. Media poll published. Do you, also, is it, do you, are you feeling it? I'm, I'm almost there. I'm starting to get the the edge for some college hoops. Uh, You're vibing. I, I got. I like to say and point out that last week we told everyone we're going to record every Monday, and today <laughs> happens to be Tuesday. Uh, I text Brendan on a Sunday night. That's what we're going to talk about on the pod. He lets me know he's on an impromptu golf trip. So at least the pod is still hopelessly on brand for this season. Um, <laughs> that's, right. that's good to know. But the most important thing is I played really well. That, that is by far the most important thing. <laughs> right. Everyone wanted to know. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we're recording today, so we're still giving the people what they want. Still doing the thing. The uh, We will mostly be on Mondays, but who knows? You know, sometimes there's a curveball here and there. Hard to take. The, the, the problem is I have to record trip. two pods on Mondays now because Nick and I often do Monday. Well, just make so sure a, you just do a lot of, it's just a this lot of pod yammering. You bring on. way better energy when you... It's their first spot up. That's true. Usually by the time I, if I have to do a second one, I've had too much coffee where I get jittery and rambly and don't want that. I, I don't just, don't just let it come to me, you know, don't just let it flow. So uh, off the top, subscribe. If you want to support this podcast, subscribe to the athletic, subscribe to UM hoops. This is the time of year. The content is uh, starting to flow on hoops. Um, Dylan is continuing to do, uh, great stuff on Michigan. Uh, I'll be doing Michigan and Michigan State and national stuff, and, and also getting contributions from Colton Pouncey on Michigan State and from Austin Meek on Michigan. So do that. Uh, this podcast is still ad free for a reason because we need you to subscribe to support it. So, um, all right, you want to get into uh, the media day poll? Let's get into it. First in person kind of media shindig and. However long uh, you were there, what was, how, what did it feel like? Did it feel like everything was back to normal? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I right when I got there, I realized that the last time I'd been in that building was that Wednesday of that the Big Ten tournament was canceled on that court. 
And that kind of sent, you know, a shiver up the spine because you just, I mean, that everyone remembers what it felt like to see everything stop. So uh, yeah, that was very surreal. The morning I got like, I remember where you were when certain things happened and you remember where you were when you had conversations, um, blah, blah, blah. So that was wild. But uh, the event itself was certainly a little bit more static and um, kind of separated in terms of the coaches and the players and the media for uh, all the obvious reasons. Hopefully that changes down the line. But for now, it was a little more formal, I would say, than what we in basketball are used to like football, super formal, right? Just because of the size and scale of it. Basketball has always kind of been just a little looser because it's probably a third, right. Of the credentialed media. So um, this year was definitely a little bit more, uh, you know, cordoned off. So uh, that's fine. You know, got a lot of stuff that we need. It was good seeing people in person. It was good to seeing like guys from the league, right. In terms of other SIDs from other schools, right? Just people who, because we didn't travel, nobody saw each other. So that was definitely cool. Um, just being able to bullshit in person and things like that. So that was very cool. But um, otherwise, I thought it was a pretty event-free uh, week in terms of what was said and what happened. You know, Hunter Dickinson, Hunter Dickinson obviously. Hunter Dickinson tried his best. He stirred some pots, which is good. We'll talk about Illinois and Michigan and all this fun stuff. But um, otherwise, it was... Pretty low key. I, would I thought the setup on on the court looked better for like a on TV product and everything else than maybe it does normally. I thought that was kind of cool. I wonder if to do that again. Obviously, right. I assume that's a lot because of COVID and whatever else. But I thought it was kind of made it a look nice compared to yeah. just the conference room and a Marriott somewhere. All right. I thought it was cool. You know that because it was two days and expanded format. Um, you know the inclusion of of the women's programs was definitely um a whole new kind of light being shown right on on programs that don't get that attention and especially the you know seeing some of these coaches who've been at their programs for you know Susie Merchant and Kim's Barnes Rico being good examples of this right that have been at their programs for years been successful you know they don't have press conferences like that unless it's at the NCAA tournament, really, you know, and, and, but, but had that opportunity to go out there and promote their programs. And that was great. And seeing, you know, the young women get a chance to have those little like mini press conferences and things like that was, was very cool. And, you know, they, you know, people participated and that uh, was good to see. Yeah. And kudos to the big 10 for doing it split by school, not gender. Like I know the ACC yeah, exactly. two days, but they have men one day, women the next. Uh, right. I, I liked how they kind of set it up in a, team by team format. And I think that helped get the local media from each school, obviously to be able to cover both. It just seemed like a nice setup overall, which was well thought out by the big 10. Yeah. Like those, you know, the beat writers who were there, you know, yeah. If, if you're covering Michigan state, you know, for the LSJ or the freep or MLI, whatever it might be. Right. Well, Susie merchants talking an hour before Tom, you know, okay, go do a Michigan state story. And you're right. It did. It kind of incentivized, more content that's focused singularly on, on the women's program, as opposed to shared stories or passing mentions and things like that. So, yeah, I agree with you. That was a, uh, that's good. If it's split, if it's, you know, facts are facts, right? If it's one day men, one day women, you're just not going to get that the crossover that, that you want. It defeats the whole purpose of doing this. Right. So um, let's be yeah, real. Very good. If the ACC could have a third media day just to talk about Coach K, they probably would at this point. And I'm off of any Coach not? K retirement tour talk. I, my favorite experience of college basketball season starting is when I get like that 
spiral bound blue ribbon in mm-hmm. the mail. Mm-hmm. This is the year I'm gonna get. I'm gonna have to rip the cover out. I can't. <laughs> I can't get there with it. I can't do it. It's just like a shrine. I. That's not what we need. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to stomach this whole year of that. I'm worried. Do you you get the hard copy of yeah. blue ribbon? I have a whole stack of them over here. Really? The archives. You got to get the spiral bound, not the so you can right. flip yeah, through. So you can fold it over. Right. Yeah. Because you're the like. I mean, I you both. are the. I get the package. You're, you're the tech guy here that i'm shocked that you have i'll pull out this, copy. I, will, uh, I can see six of them over there i mean i write for the damn thing and i just get the pdf or the jpeg or whatever the hell it's called Got it. it's a pdf but let's get yeah. into it big 10 media right. day the highlight yes. of the big 10 media day you've essentially put the big 10 out of even crowning a champion and they just use the unofficial official poll how does that feel How about that i mean you know unexpected but but I, it's definitely a win for sure. Um, but that also means like, do I just have to do this in perpetuity now? Like what if in a, you know, a year or two, I'm, I'm out now, Adam Jardy just has to do this by himself. Uh, or what if he bails, they expect me to do this by myself. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I would have lots of questions about the tallying of votes. If someone else was not involved in it and it was just you, <laughs> I'd be very worried. That's I, that's the best I, reason that Adam Dylan. I would love to. I would love to push back on that, but uh, I, I can't. I got nothing. Uh, thank you to our twenty-seven other voters, uh, me uh, and Adam, and then twenty-six others. So uh, yes, and as you as you know, Adam tabulates everything. I just sent him. I created the spreadsheet though, so some Ooh. credit. That's right. Um, but the official poll. Michigan and Purdue both received 373 points. Michigan got one more first place vote than Purdue. So they had the nod on top. Uh, So Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, Ohio State, Maryland, Michigan State at sixth, Indiana, Rutgers, Iowa, Wisconsin at 10, Nebraska, Northwestern and Penn State tied for 12th. Um, And then Minnesota. I think was I think they were last in all but one. Let me see. I think uh, they were last in all Nebraska but Nebraska writer has Penn State last. No, a couple Penn people State. have Penn State last. And a, and there's a Northwestern vote or two. So in it looks like 24 of 28, Minnesota was last. Um as expected. So player of the year, Kofi Coburn, all conference team. Uh, Kofi Coburn, EJ Liddell, Hunter Dickinson, Jaden Ivey, Trace Jackson Davis, a bunch of others uh, also receiving votes. Freshman of the year, uh, Caleb Houston comfortably finished ahead of Max Christie and Bryce McGowan's five-star who's headed to Nebraska, uh, picked up one vote. So there you have it. Wrap it up. Good there podcast. There you have it. Uh- <laughs> I, I guess the I can start at the top. I was, I mean, it was, I was a little surprised to see a two team tie, I guess. Uh, it's pretty mm-hmm. much almost an even split, except for three lunatics picking Illinois to win the league. Um, you picked Purdue. And I guess we, yeah. we talked about Purdue for a long time on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you picked Michigan third. You want to like break down your thought process for that? Uh, I mean, it's what if you tell, if, if I had a bet today on a, three-way tie at the top. I think that's just as likely as there being any discernible difference between 
these three. Um, I went with Purdue uh, because of experience, um, because of Painter, because Travion. Dude, so Travion in person, I know you have your Travion thoughts, but I do need to say, and Matt Charbonneau was standing next to me. He fully agreed. He comes walking into the suit. He looks like a different fucking guy, man. Like he is trim. So I don't know how that translates, right? It doesn't make him a different basketball player per se, but physically like that, that shit is true that, that he is in by far the best shape of his life. Now, I don't know if that means that they can play together. I thought Matt Painter's answers were incredible when he was breaking that down uh, from the podium. Um, but anyway, so Purdue, I picked because of experience. Um, Jaden Ivey taking, you know, a potential big jump for all the reasons we talked about on the last pod. Really, when it comes to Michigan, um, you know, nine of their scholarship players are freshmen and sophomores. And if I'm looking at Purdue, Michigan, Illinois, you know, that is just going to, that just gave me a reason to give them a tick below the, the other two. And I'll, I, I'll give you credit. You just kind of stuck to that with Illinois. Illinois is also pretty experienced. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to look through any other big differences. My top three were Illinois, Michigan, Purdue. Um, we both are a little lower on Ohio State than maybe conventional wisdom. Yes. Um, it looks like you had Ohio State all the way down at sixth behind Michigan State. I had him at fifth mm-hmm. and Michigan State at sixth. I think that that's the right tier for those two teams. With like, I think you can kind of pick out of a hat. Um, I think they're closer to each other than maybe Ohio State is to the top. Um, I think we kind of hit on that a bit, but we just don't, well, at least I don't really trust the backcourt at Ohio state. And I don't really see how they're going to be significantly better when they really struggled defensively last year and had the same front court and new guards who are not going to make heroic shots at a rate of Dwayne Washington jr. Right. Right. Um, I was way higher or actually I think we both were higher on Penn state than everyone else. I don't know. Like seeing Penn state get a last place vote. I'm like, that's just, you're not, you're not paying attention to the roster. Um, there's enough pieces there for Penn state to be above. I think that bottom, you know, like I think the NIT is perfectly reasonable for, for Penn state this year. Um, I've already bought all the Micah Shrewsbury stock, right? So uh, we're going to, we're going to ride that ship. And see see where it goes, but like I have, I had them right below that. Like I, in my mind, Rutgers is kind. Of, Rutgers, Indiana is kind of the cutoff of the you know teams I'm confidently think can compete for NCAA bids without you know some desperate last ditch heave to get a, a play in. Right, the the Michigan State last year winning, having to beat two top ten teams in the last week or two. Right, like because when I look at Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa. I just don't, I don't think they're going to be good. Yeah. Um, the way I put it after Penn Rutgers, State's right on that line for me. After Rutgers and Indiana, it's way easier to come up with things you don't like about teams left to mm-hmm. pick than find something you like. And I, I think there's, you really have to squint, but you can't get there with Penn State. You can say, I, I really like Jalen Pickett. I, Micah Shrews, like you, it, it's a really interesting case study because Penn state season last year was probably as impacted by just like bad things as anyone. Um, they had a big yes. COVID shutdown. Their coach left to, like this time. Um, it like, was- what do you think Penn state would have finished? Right. So let's say if chambers 
didn't, you know, mess up, whatever went down with that whole thing, right? Let's just say everything just kind of, and I know you aren't a biggest bat chambers fan, right? But like, what do you think that team, do you think they could have been like a full tier better in the big 10 if they were just normal, right? Yeah. I mean, did they have the upside? No, but they were a top 40 Ken Palm team, even with everything that happened. Even with everything that happened. And the yeah. COVID shutdown. And I think that it was more of a season where everything going poorly, including like some bad losses, some really hard schedule stretches, just kind of mm-hmm. shit cans your season. But it's not like they were ranked 80th or 90th or 100th. Like that's closer to a decent team than maybe you, you give them credit for it. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to go and make the tournament this year. But like they had a higher Kempom rating than Michigan State last year, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it was. It looks bad when you look at the wins and losses. You look at the new head coach and all this. But I mean, of all those new head coach pressers that I've seen, like Michael Shrewsbury seems like he might get it. Like I, I like him. I want to like him. So I can get there. Um, like Jalen Pickett, he's a guy I thought Michigan should have gone after and. Yeah, to really get like I think he can be really good and a legit Big Ten guard and what that means and how much you can really get out of that front court. Like we'll see, but I think they're like you say in contention to make the NIT. Sure, I mean I'm, I'm going to go down the list and who else am I going to get excited about? Iowa, not really. Wisconsin, I I actually picked Wisconsin ahead of Penn State mostly because I think there's a pretty high floor for just like Wisconsin style basketball that will make them competitive, um, but just not a ton of upside. Um, I was shocked to see you pick Nebraska ahead of me. I'm usually the resident Nebraska cheerleader, so I'm glad you're getting on board. I've convinced you a little bit. I mean, I think me putting Nebraska where I put them says way more about Iowa, Northwestern, and Minnesota than it does Nebraska. Yep, I think that's probably right. But hey, there's like I said, you can come up with some reasons to be excited about Nebraska. Yeah. Like, I'll put it this way. I was down on Iowa. And then when we talked, we actually talked through their lineup during last week's pod. That's when I was just like, oh, my Lord. Right. Like. Big yikes there. Uh, we'll see what happens. But um, really, I, I thought I thought ours were, were kind of pretty close. Um, pretty close. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing to get too hot and bothered about. Um, I feel like the most interesting part of the picks was you joining uh, the two Illinois beat writers as the lone three to pick Illinois, which I do not th- like, I was actually surprised that they only got three votes um, mainly because of Curbelo and Kofi. Like, is that it could very well end up being the best duo in the league. So it's not impossible to pick Illinois to, to win the whole damn thing. Then you add, you know, Trent Frazier, you add um, Alfonso Plummer. Like there's a lot to like there. Uh, plus, they have a shit ton to prove because of what happened both in the league and against Loyola. Like, there's a lot there. Um, so let's get into your thoughts on Illinois before we get into this whole Illinois as villain subplot that is developing out here. Yeah. So, I mean, Kofi Coburn got more than twice as many player of the year votes mm-hmm. as anyone else in the league. Uh, Illinois was better than every team in the league other than you can say Michigan and Michigan lost a lot more than Illinois. Yes. Uh, so like, and Illinois brought back really the sense, like what made that team great was like the Sumo was great, 
But Kofi Coburn is sort of the one piece that held everything together as far as what that team did on offense and defense last year. Uh, like he was the reason their defense was so good. Uh, his ability to control the paint when he controlled the paint, they won. Uh, he was the only guy to really just stonewall a Michigan team that won games by also controlling the paint. So like that's the starting place is okay. He's the most dominant big man in the league. He's back as a junior and they bring back, like we can talk about Eli Brooks, but they bring back Trent Frazier. They bring back Demonte Williams. Those are veteran guys. Um, all right. Adam Miller's gone. Uh, Okay, I don't think that's a huge loss. He might not a huge. I agree. He'll get buckets at LSU, but I don't think he was ever going to be maybe a knockdown shooter like you want. I think he right. wants to maybe grow his game in other ways. Alfonso Plummer is going to come in. He's not maybe as athletic. He's a little shorter. He's going to shoot forty percent from three. He's a volume mm-hmm. three point shooter. Like I like the pieces. Um, I like. I get that that's apparently a controversial thing to say, but I I think that's just it's all right there. Like. If they just do exactly what they did last year, they're basically better than anyone else in the league as far as what's on paper. Purdue, you're taking like Purdue wasn't anywhere close to as good of a team as Illinois was last year. Sure. Purdue had a great yeah. season. Purdue's younger, maybe more ways to improve, but Illinois was better. And Illinois, I think they have the recipe to do the same thing this year. I, I think that's. I mean, that's all totally fair. Um, the thing that I like, it, oh. it's I I like it. I'm also concerned by it uh, when it comes to Illinois is when I look at the roster, I see a team that should be maybe the best. It could maybe be the best three-point shooting team in the league. When you look at the, the bodies that are out there, Frazier, Plummer, DeMonte Williams, Jacob Grandison, uh, Austin, what's his name? Hutcherson, right? Kid shot 40% uh, and wherever the hell he was last year, right? He's um, had injury issues though, right? Like, but still, like, look at those pieces, right? Like, you should be able to shoot the shit out of the ball, especially with Kofi in the middle having to attract so much attention and often getting digs and getting double screen or getting double team. Like, you should be able to swing the ball around basically what Michigan was last year and and live on threes. But then you look at what Illinois did last year. They were 14th in the league in percentage of points off threes, 14th in the league in three points attempted, I believe or percentage of shots that were mm-hmm. threes, right? Um, like, for this team to be its best version, it needs to be dramatically different um, in a lot of ways than what it was. And I get last year, right? Like, I asked Underwood about this, and he agreed. Like, they need to find a way to shoot more threes this year. But they were an elite two-point team last year. Like, it made – I'm not knocking the way that they played last year. You had Io, you had Kofi. It makes a ton of sense, right? But, but this team is not that team. So how do you change who you are – kind of fundamentally in the half court. Yeah. It's a really interesting part of it's Kofi's passing. Like you hate to knock. I mean, he's so good, but his passing is just what it is. And do, can you exploit, can this team exploit how good of a three point shoot shooting team it can be if it's just Curbelo creating the threes for everybody? So this is interesting. I was listening to a podcast, uh, it was the Oral Roberts coach was on Jordan Sperber's podcast and they shot more threes than basically anyone last year. Um, okay. Cause they had Max Aismas. And so they had this like super spread situation. And it's so funny because the way he explained it wasn't like, yeah, we set out to shoot all these threes. It was everything we do is to put pressure on the rim and to put pressure on the rim. You 
can create that with spacing and driving and kicking, right? Because you pressure right. the rim and collapse the defense. Uh, Illinois dominates at the rim, right? Like they put pressure yes. on the rim in a different way. So they're winning games there still, even if it's in a different way. They had the best effective field goal percentage in Big Ten games. So mm -hmm. you can say, oh, they didn't shoot enough threes, but they made the threes they shot and they got dunks. Uh, totally they shot great. 55% right. on twos. So I'm usually someone who screams about shooting more threes, but you almost don't need to shoot as many threes in this situation when you have a guy who's just going to dunk it every time. The issue I think is probably the free throw shooting. Um, and that's maybe some of the efficiency you worry about with Kofi is what is he as a free throw shooter at 55% last year. If he's not going to be able to pass, that's where you get into worries. Um, and then Curbelo. Curbelo seemed kind of slept on generally by like those preseason votes. I, he didn't get really any first, many first team votes of note. Whereas nope. Jaden Ivey is sort of like a consensus, like first team guy. There's, they both have major questions to answer as sophomores, um, but they both have incredible potential. Like, I'm not sure who you take in the league if you are going to draft a starting point guard compared to Carpello, at least in terms of upside. Um, maybe not the easiest to coach. Uh, going to be some stuff to rein in as far as like, like John Bielan say, playing emotionally drunk. Um, yeah. He, he kind of starts the game with a couple already in the tank. Um, mm -hmm. So you're going to have to rein that in, but I, I like all the upside there. And it's just, I don't know if they really need to shoot threes. If they're, if you're going to lead the big 10 effective field goal percentage, maybe you have the right shot mix as it is. But how much of that was IO? Some, um, and some, and you're going to go <laughs> a fair point. <laughs> uh, you're going to go from Adam Miller, who's at 34% on threes to Alfonso Plummer. I would think mm -hmm. Alfonso Plummer shoots better from three and shoots more threes. Um, the, the question like, for about me is, is Trent Frazier going to be a guy who's shooting twice as often? And what does that look like? That gives me like Illinois four years ago vibes. And I don't know if well, that's you, what I you want. Can, I would rather see DeMonte Williams probably take 20 more threes this year. DeMonte Williams is not going to take any shots unless he's standing wide open in the corner. Well, then uh, you got to find ways to get him those shots. He shot fucking 55% or whatever last year. And it only took one three a game. Yeah. Until crazy. he misses, you need to figure out ways to get him that shot. Yeah, I actually the guy you talked about, Grandison. I'm big on yeah. him as a stretch four. I think he was that changed their year, man. Mm -hmm. Not changed it, but like it, it took them to a totally different level when he when he stepped in. So I'm big on his upside as like with a year under his belt in Big Ten. Yeah. Um, so I, I like this team. It, it's an interesting blend, but I think um, they are every bit in the mix with. Michigan and Purdue in that top tier. I don't think it's really yeah. much doubt. And I was surprised to see at least a little bit of gap. A lot of preseason magazines and stuff like that have Ohio State above Illinois, which is just crazy to me um, as far no. as what's there and what's back. Right. I, I think uh, I think we both would have lost a bet if it if it was if the question was will Andre Curbelo and Devontae Jones get the same amount of first team votes uh, in the preseason poll because they both got two, which is completely insane. But um, no disrespect to Devontae Jones, but we just watched what Curbelo did in the Big Ten. I mean, he was spectacular at times last year. But so, so Curbelo asked, got two votes and Ivy got 21 to put that yeah. into frame of reference. And both, I think, are we ranked them in our Big Ten inside the hall top 25, fifth and sixth, I think. So, mm -hmm. like, I think there's a gap in how Curbelo's maybe viewed across the league. And it'll be interesting to see how that proves out this year. So, I want your 
thoughts on this. I asked Underwood, I'm just all, now I'm just dumping everything that I'm going to use for when I have to write my Illinois state of the program, but whatever, this is the conversation. So I asked him, you know, what is the fine line when it comes to a guy like Curbelo of letting him play the way he plays, right? Versus, hey, we need to rein you in a little bit. Like your turnover percentage has got to come down. Like this team is not last year's team. You can't have, um, you know, a point guard that's that vulnerable to um, to mistakes. So, you know, so on and so forth, right? Basic stuff. And Underwood's answer was really interesting. He said most of his turnovers, like he saw the right thing. Like he was maybe he was making the right play and maybe it was a missed catch, you know, by Georgie Bashadisvili or whoever it might have been, or, you know, Kofi maybe missed a pass or, or maybe it just didn't go right. But he was like, when we would sit and watch the film together and I would ask him, you know, what are you seeing here on a, on an instance of him making a, uh, a turnover, it was usually the right answer. And he's like, so the gap of closing that might not be as large as it looks on paper when you just see his numbers. So I thought, I just thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. The way like, just, I didn't watch every game Illinois played last year. Probably watched a lot of them. The way he sees the ball screen game, Mm-hmm. I think is on another level, especially for a freshman. And that's the exciting part about him uh, because if he starts, it's a balance of seeing the right thing and reacting to it soon enough to make the play. Right. Like, so you could be doing the right thing, but a split second late and that's a correctable thing. And that's what you I think you could see this year. I think he, on paper, he should be the best ball screen guard in the big 10. I mean, he, yeah. he made probably, like 25% of the best ball screen passes last year. The problem are eliminating the bad ones and making maybe the easier ones and just kind of evening that all out. But the talent in those parts of the game is there. Uh, the target is there with yeah. Kofi, right? Like it's a great situation for him to play in that role. And like Illinois really sort of shifted their, like they don't run any of that spread stuff anymore. It's a lot of ball screens, a lot of, it's kind of fit. They've underwood's shown that he'll, kind of rip up everything he does and do what works. And I think that's going to be a lot of Cabello ball screens. And I mean, the shot's the big issue. I, I'm not mm-hmm. convinced that the guy who barely took any threes is going to be able to make threes. But if you have a, what, Xavier Simpson type of pass first point guard and you have Kofi Coburn, like you still have a really good team. And I think that's yep. kind of what you look at as maybe that, that young Xavier Simpson ball screen kind of fiery point guard in the backcourt. Because they both have that thing. Like whatever it is, th- these guys who can who feel the play right, who see it developing before everyone else, who who are able to anticipate things. Like, are, are anyone listening to this has seen it between Simpson, Cassius Winston, you know, like especially like senior year Derek Walton, where he just had everyone on a string. Like, it, he has that. Corbello has all that. That feel, that stuff. He, the windows that he puts passes in is, are just stupid sometimes. Um, but yeah, can. The fact that he's surrounded by shooters um, and has Kofi, like you can get away with exactly what he is. Yep. And now we need to talk about the real issue with Illinois is all of Ooh, this banter and how, like smoke. Like, <laughs> who was the last Big Ten team to just take on this sort of villain role? Like, I feel like we haven't really seen that. There's been good Big Ten teams, but has there ever been a team that's just screaming? Wisconsin about kind of has had a little bit. Well, of over Brad Davison. Well, no the, one's listening the date. to that. Who was the, who was what was the dude Woodbury from Iowa when he started poking oh. everyone in the eyes? And that shit? was that's that was good. 
<laughs> and like they they kind of fit that mold because you know Fran is who he is. Yes, and- Iowa does also constantly feel disrespected, yeah. but I was never quite <laughs> gotten to the point of actually having a grievance. I feel like so that's that's the trade off. Illinois is in this weird part where they feel kind of wronged by everyone, but they're Michigan actually good enough a- to go do something about it. Michigan had a little bit of this, the blue collar, white blue collar year. So you're telling me Michigan, Illinois is the rivalry of the big 10. Cause that was the same thing. Besides Michigan, Michigan state. Yes. Michigan, Michigan state is still the best rivalry in the big 10. Well, Iowa and, or I'm sorry, Purdue and Indiana are, are right there. It's, uh, but do you want to Google the last time Indiana beat Purdue? Well, I'm just straight in terms of passion, in terms of uh, all the stuff that make a rivalry, but Michigan, Michigan state's the best right now. Uh, followed by that, followed by Michigan, Illinois. Here's, I wanted to flip it a little bit. Hunter Dickinson was leaning all the way into any sort of question that would give him this. He's all in. He talked about how he wants to be that guy that everyone yells at because then they're not yelling at his teammates. Eli was just like cracking up next to him when he knew he was going to just cringing a little, cringing slash cracking up. Yeah. Is this a, a good thing for Hunter, a bad thing for Hunter. It's good for the Big Ten, I think. It's great for us. It's great for the Big Ten. Do I you, don't know if it's the best what, for Hunter. What's your read? I mean, he managed to do some of this in empty buildings last year, so it's clearly in his DNA. I mean, 100%. It's just really going to be – he's going to be one of the constant talking points, I think, this whole year. And I think – I remember, I remember Mar- Martelli said it was going to be this way before he ever even played a game. Before Dickinson ever played a game, he was like, this kid is going to try to get under everyone's skin. He loves it. He plays that way. So if he wants, but you better deliver, man. If he goes and gets put in a body bag by Kofi, that's going to be a terrible look. He needs to zip his way out from last year. He, he's uh-huh. in the body bag currently. And he's <laughs> yeah, still exactly. Talking. I mean, it's just funny that that was by far Michigan's worst performance of the year. And I mean, they like got just destroyed in that game. And that's, yeah. Uh, It'll be a uh, must-see TV for those games this year, but it's going to be... don't they only play once? I No, I believe they play twice. Okay, I hope so. Yeah. I I'm, thought... So my colleague, Eamon Brennan, wrote a good story on this that ran this morning about this whole um, Illinois leaning into the fact that it, it wants to be... Because as much as Dickinson wants to get under people's skin, this is a whole thing with Illinois. Like, they want to be that team that everyone hates. They all said it. As much Kofi said, you know, if everyone hates us, that means we're doing something good. So we want to be that team. And then Underwood was asked about it. And it was definitely a spot where a lot of coaches would have tapered things, right? Mm -hmm. And would have started to kind of shape, try to reshape the narrative. Underwood, not at all. He says maybe his quote was, maybe it's taken on a little bit of my personality. I hope so. So he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how the program is being viewed, but like the rest of his, here's the rest of his quote, just to give it, you know, the full breath. But I think you have to play the game with some passion. I think you have to play with a little fire in your belly. Maybe it means we've arrived. If people want to talk about us that way and not like us that way, maybe it's because we've stepped on toes. I don't know. You'd have to ask them. So he is all for, this is not, you know, his players saying it. That's the head coach leaning into this whole thing and not being, uh, timid about it at all. I mean, last year it was a top-down operation. Athletic director, 100%. letter, yes, coach. Keeps talked about it plenty before that game. Everything else. Trent Frazier had to sign. 
Now you have mm-hmm. beat writers asking about how last year's <laughs> title was decided. So this is like a whole thing. I think it's pretty clear that it is an identity for Illinois. Uh, it clearly worked in that game last year. It clearly did not work in the NCAA tournament. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you can like keep that up and build your whole like season and culture on this. Um, that, that'll be interesting to me. Like, I don't really know if other teams feel like Illinois is annoying or anything else. Like it seems like much more of an Illinois mad about how the big 10 decided things and feels kind of shortchanged than like, it's not like Michigan mm-hmm. state's sitting around talking crap about Illinois or anyone else. Are they right? Right. Um, but I mean, if you want to be the most annoying team in the league and you have Trent Frazier in the backcourt, like you're going to do a pretty good job of that. Cause that guy can get under people's skin as well as just about anyone. So can Curbelo. Yep. It's going to Curbelo's be- got, he has all that sauce. Yeah, for sure. And then Kofi's just a monster. Yeah. So January 14th is the game in Champaign. um, And then February 27th in Ann Arbor. So those will be good set up kind of for the. How many games, like how many games are after that? Michigan. Uh, Two games. Illinois. At least two games after. At least the third to last game of the year. Yeah. So that'll be a Sunday CBS whole thing. And that's going to be the must-see TV. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that'll be really fun. What day of the week is the first game? It is a Friday night in Champaign. What? That is unbelievable. What are they doing? Oh, for fuck's sake. That's absurd. Well, I mean, that place is going to be on fire, first of all. I mean, they could have played that game at eight o'clock in the morning and the place would be on fire. But uh, I don't know. Friday night adds more juice. It it gets less eyes. It's the premier game of the year. That'll get you put it in a slot that it will get the least eyes nationally. Yeah. I I think it was two years ago. There were a couple games that should have been some of the best games of the year. And they were put, I think it was like, was there a Michigan state Illinois game two years ago or something? Some game was on a Friday night and it like, no one's watching those games, right? Like nobody's watching them you need to be in that Sunday or Saturday afternoon or like a Tuesday night. Like those are the the prime spots and those, these Fox sports one slots just don't do it for me. No, no, it's not the, the cra- crowd will be, you know, no one, no one in Champaign is going to have work or class the next day. So the whole place is going to be blind drunk, which is going to be fun to witness. But uh, no, that game neat that uh, how that is not a 9 PM Wednesday game is beyond me. On. Uh, on like the the ESPN or something. I agree. Um, let's talk a little. So instead, it's on FS1 with its horrific pregame show, and that's another story. But whatever. You got Big Ten listeners, man. You got to be nice. Uh, we got to um, move on. Let's talk a little Michigan. Michigan State. State. Michigan uh, State. Yeah. We they didn't really come up in a lot of this other discussion, which I guess is kind of the story coming out of media day. Is they were picked to finish sixth in the league, which probably since you've been doing the poll, I'm guessing that's probably four spots lower than they've ever been picked or something like that has to be. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's the whole thing. It, it, you know, them at being at six just speaks to this kind of Michigan state's just there. Right. And it, it gets a degree of respect because of what the program is. Um, but nobody's really talking about them. Right. No one's talking about any player. You know, something I pointed out when I, I wrote this up was, the most one of the most interesting things about the poll this year was this kind of dispersion of elite talent that usually is just not typical of of what what we see. This this year you had six different players get player of the year votes, 
like not all league votes, player of the year votes. Um, let me just make sure I get the count for anyone who wants to know. So Kofi Coburn got 11 votes. Jay Nivey got five. EJ Liddell got four. Hunter Dickinson got three. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis got three. Travion Williams got two, right? So th- those are like big time, legitimate All-American candidates, all of them, all six of them. That is not typical at all. Um, let me pull this up. So in past years, 2020, 21, last season, Luca Garza had 24 of the votes in the preseason. IO got four. The year before, Cassius Winston had 27. Jalen Smith got one. So Cassius was basically unanimous. 2018-19, Carson Edwards had 23. Ethan Happ had four. And Charles Matthews got one outlier vote. Uh, 2017-18, Miles Bridges, unanimous. So this doesn't happen where it's it's all of these guys. And the fact that that dynamic exists of three legitimate All-Americans and none of them are at Michigan State, like defies everything that we're kind of used to, at least recently. You know, mm-hmm. Tom pointed out that he had some teams in the past that might not have had a player of the year candidate or might not had, you know, the legit All-American going into the year and ended up reaching the final four anyway. Um but that's great that that happened then, but we're talking about now. And, and it's just a very um, kind of odd position to see that program in. What do you, not what do you make of it? What do you think? Yeah, it, it's the big thing with Michigan State is you look at the roster and there are a lot of guys who are like, you say like top 100 type recruits. There are a lot of guys who are probably established Big Ten players like they don't have they're not short on guys good enough to play in the Big Ten. I think what the question is, is who's the guy who's good enough to be one of the best players in the Big Ten? Who's the guy who can be an all Big Ten first team guy? Um, the, and if you don't have one, can you what what's your ceiling? Yeah, your ceiling, I don't think is great. You can be a fine team, but you mm-hmm. to get there. I think you need a ceiling of uh, having that guy. And I think I mean. The more you look at this situation with Michigan State, it's going to come down to Max Christie being that guy. Uh, yep. I think uh, it just – I don't really see someone like Gabe Brown or Malik Hall just – like it's hard for upperclassmen to become wildly different players. It's not like – like if Gabe Brown was going to be that guy, I think he would have seen an uptick in usage or a role or change mm-hmm. or anything over the course of his career. I think you're far more likely to see – and be a very similar player to what he's done, be better, more consistent on defense, make a few more plays. But I don't think that means you're going to be a 25% usage guy who kind of carries the ship, right? Like it's hard to change what sort of player you are. And especially once you aren't in some sort of situation, that's kind of letterbox based on your role, right? Like Gabe Brown's played on all sorts of different teams. Um, there's been opportunities for on some squads, not on others. This team needs someone. And I think, speaks to like, this is Max Christie's show, right? Like you need a guy who can play with the ball, without the ball, lead the team in usage. And if he can be that guy, I think you have a lot of pieces to plug around him that could actually be really effective in just kind of advanced roles, right? You don't need Max Christie to do everything. Mm -hmm. You need him to fit that role. And then like Gabe Brown, Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, all these other guys kind of just be themselves without having to have maybe visions of becoming that guy. Right. And that, but that's a big ass to do on a team with a lot of upperclassmen too, right? Like these Mm -hmm. guys, 
you're know, going to, it's going to, everyone's going to have to buy into those roles and figure that all out. And that's what I, it's just so hard to say when you have a true freshman in that spot, but it's also more likely to me that it's Christie than it's someone like someone returning who hasn't done it before. If that makes well, the other hope is Walker too. Yep. You know, yeah. that, it, that it's, it's either one or two or a combination of, of both. Cause you're right. When it was really, you, you look at like the other players that teams brought to media day that like they're two representatives or they were guys who you know, almost most of them had, you know, all league type characters, you know, and Michigan state brought Gabe, and Malik Hall, you know, it's two guys with a combined 700 points in their career. They've never been all conference guys. They both have averaged like 16 minutes a game in their college careers, you know, like no disrespect to them, but there was a very obvious gap between what Michigan state brought and what other teams had there, you know, especially in terms of those teams in the top half of the league. Um, and you're right. Like Kata Bates Diop was the outlier, right? Of the guy who was kind of a career player. And he was injured as a junior, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good one, though. And then, but then takes a totally different leap and becomes a player of the year. Like that just that doesn't really happen that much. And Michigan State has had seniors who've taken their game to other levels. Even recently, Kenny Goins, um, Matt McQuaid took a, a big step forward, but they were also playing with the best point guard in the country and a guy like Xavier Tillman who was coming along. And even in the beginning of that time, Nick Ward was still, you know, getting 20 touches a game or whatever it was. Right. Um, but right. For those two, especially in the positions that they play to become all league types. Like I think Malik Hall is going to have a really good year this year, but that doesn't mean I think he's going to be second team, all big 10. You know what I mean? I just think he's can, I think he's going to outperform a lot of expectations for him, but yeah, I, so much of this is on Walker. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I was trying him to being, save him to talk about him next, yeah, but yeah. that's the million-dollar question. The million this is all going to fit together right, right. and what it looks like. What is your read on continuing to tout it as a two-horse race? Uh, I don't AJ get it. Hogarth versus Tyson Walker. Is this a Hunter Dickinson, Austin Davis situation? I think so. I Where, think it is. I think that's a good comparison. And But the, the only difference being, like, I think they wanted – I think what Michigan was doing was more about lighting a fire under – Hunter's ass mm-hmm. where in this instance, I think it's more about building up AJ okay, and, and, and kind of increasing his confidence. And cause, cause look, even if he's not the guy, you still need a legitimate serviceable backup point guard, like AJ Hogard, whether, even if he's not playing 20 minutes a game, you still need him. Like a, you don't need him to transfer out of the program. Right. First of all, just given what the nature of college basketball right now and B you know, as long as you have him in the program, you're going to play him like he's going to get minutes. So, yeah, you need to build him up as much as possible. Now, what's happening behind closed doors in terms of what is the difference between the two from everything I've heard? It's dramatic, but I'm going to get to see practice this week. And hopefully when we talk next week, we'll have more thoughts on this. But look, even if it is split, that's that's not good. Like in, in terms of this team being good, they need T- Tyson Walker to be a legit top one third of the league point guard. Um, and, and because it just unlocks everything else. Joey Hauser suddenly becomes a hell of a lot more useful when you're Get, putting him getting back on the Joey Hauser train. Well, I, well Joey Hauser is going to play 25 minutes I, a game. I know you're just so, you, <laughs> but you need like Izzo said yesterday, I, I would have loved to have seen Hauser play with Winston. It's because Winston was a elite point or elite ball screen point guard. 
Last year, Hauser was useless without a point guard. <laughs> what do you do with him? He's just a defensive liability who's not getting any looks that are, you know, you're not able to use any of his talent without a guy who does everything with the ball in his hands, right? So without Walker, what is everything else, right? It all just kind of extrapolates out the issues. Yeah, I, I think it's like there's layers to it. One, Tyson Walker needs to be hands down your best point guard, and you need to build what you're going to do this year around Tyson Walker. I think that's pretty much established. Uh, he needs to run the show. The question becomes, can he run the show, or does he need to also score? And that's what I I don't know if we know yet. Um, like, is he a 18% usage, 35% assist rate guy, or is he a 25% usage, 20% assist rate guy? Uh, uh, Michigan State has a lot of scoring point guards, and that's in the model. So I think whether he does both or not, like that, that's manageable. But I, uh, I think that's where you kind of draw the line and say, okay, what can you get scoring wise out of these other guys? And if you can have 15 points a game from Christie, if Hauser looks more comfortable and can give you 12, 13 a game, kind of stretching the floor, like all of a sudden Walker can just run the show. Mm-hmm. between playing Michigan state defense, running the show and doing everything, like having to score too, is going to be an awful lot for a kid coming from Northeastern, no matter how good he is um, at this level. Um, if he's, if he's the top name on the scouting report, all of a sudden that's just, that makes Michigan state maybe more scoutable. Whereas if it can kind of be at one of those situations where you have a pass first point card and anyone can beat you on any given night, then I think maybe that's, that's sort of the perfect balance for this team, right? Like if everyone can take a step forward, and Tyson Walker can just run the show, keep things going, play good defense. That's what you want. And that's, I think, the ideal fit for this team. I think there's just so many questions about how maybe that all fits in and whether we get there. And I think if he's uh, – that's kind of how I draw the line. And I worry about this split situation just because it seems like not a good sign. But at the same time, it also seems like classic coach speech – AJ mm-hmm. Hogard lost what 25 pounds or something this summer. You want to kind of let him be rewarded for that. You have a new guy coming in. You don't want to just hand the ball over to him. And then it's six minutes into the game against Kansas and Tyson Walker never leaves the court at point guard until March. Right. Like that could right. very easily be what happens here. And I, that's just kind of speaks to how coaches think oftentimes. Yes. Um, I think you bring up a really interesting point about his scoring and what it, what is a reasonable um, kind of threshold for Michigan state to be good in terms of what he needs to be as a scorer. Cause I don't think he needs to be 18 points again. I don't think he needs to be a cashless level scorer. Mm-hmm. Like I think Michigan state can be a top five teams, top five or six team in the league with Tyson Walker averaging 12 points, 11 points. Right. And giving you a pop, he shot 35% on threes last year. So, you know, I think he's like an 80% free throw shooter. So he can shoot the ball. Um, so if he's giving you a, a three here or three there, some stuff in transition, but more importantly is running your offense and actually creating all this stuff. They have enough around him mm-hmm. to be good. They have possession um, finishers. They need a possession right. creator. And that's, he's the only guy on the roster. I think that can be that creator though. So mm-hmm. that's why he's that guy. And it all comes right. down to him. Like, could anyone on the team even hit, like what is Gabe Brown good at stand still threes and slashing to the basket, catching the ball and dunking on people. That's pretty much it. And out getting out in transition, right. Run and dunking. 
And what's Joey Hauser good? They, they, Spacing the floor with pick and pop threes, right? Like everyone. They didn't even have anybody who could pass the ball to these people in situations for any of them to use what they're good at. And, you know, Izzo said it himself that day. He's like, the amount of possessions last year where we just didn't find shooters was just, it was not functional basketball, you know? And, and take out the offense and the point guard stuff. Everything was dragged down. Like they, their run game last year, it didn't look anything like this program. And I'm part of its personnel, right? Like Joey Hauser is just not going to be fast enough to get out. And, you know, that came in as a transition guy is not it, but they have guys who can get out and run. Like, I mean, Gabe Brown can get out on the wing and go. And, but everything just seems so stuck in the mud because the lack of anyone who, who could go and, also and, and stuck play in that mud. way. Josh Langford last year, right? Like, Langford, it's not like yeah, they had a slow running as hell. Team they the were wing. so slow. It just never looked like them. This, um, the speed good. in Joey Hauser, I feel like this is probably something I say every pod ever. But the way this roster sets up, like, there has to be a chance that he plays some five this year. I think last year's I, I 100% show, think real, so. cha- real things that it's going to just be really hard for him to defend a lot of different fours. Mm-hmm. And it could really open up his game if he does play the five. And I'm not sure there's anyone beating down the door that you can't take off the court at center to really no. take no. that out of it. So I, I really think that's some, I think there's been enough hints that maybe that does happen. And that's intriguing to me as far as this team figuring some things out offensively that they just never did last year. Yeah. I mean, Bingham will get the shot, right? Because you have to give him the shot. Um, we'll see. But even if he does, play above expectations or show dramatic improvement. He's still not playing more than 22 minutes a game. He just exactly. can't go like that, you know? So you have minimum 18, 20 minutes that you're looking to fill at that, at that five spot. I don't know if Maddie Sissoko is ready still. And Julius Marble is just kind of Julius Marble, you know, like I, what to, to your point about upperclassmen, like really what realistically, what big step forward is, is Marble giving you that, running that out there is any way um, creating a higher ceiling than yeah. giving those minutes to house. He's like a minute showing out a totally different look. Right. Like Marble can give you 10 minutes. I don't think mm-hmm. he's going to change the game in those 10 minutes, or at least he hasn't really shown that except for that one game where he hit, I think a couple baseline jumpers uh, last year. That was like, was that the Duke game? I think he's hit a couple of those. He was good at, in the Duke game. He was good in the Ohio State game, if I remember. So he's had those flashes, but he just hasn't really shown the signs that he's going to be close to being a big man. You got to play, right? Like if you have Hauser, mm-hmm. you have something completely different. And even hell, Bingham, Bingham could give you some of that pick and pop ability at the five two if he's finally kind of got the trope, the trust, and the rope to do some of that stuff. So I think, like, if you give him that <laughs> big lead, question, and but I mean, that's that's where you're looking at to what could be different about this team? I just hated the six guys for 40 minutes or whatever it was at the five last year. And I, I think that was counterproductive. Um, totally. Um, that, I mean, there was so, like counterproductive is it basically the best word to use to describe all elements of what you saw last year. Right. And I do think there is between the lack of a point guard between, you know, just the fit of trying to figure out on the fly, what to do with rocket, you know, the five position being that revolving door, shooting, COVID, never good, you know, COVID, not knowing what to do. You know, at times they were just trying to figure out 
how to bring everything out of Aaron Henry. It, it was, I, I do want, like try to guard a little bit about putting too much weight on what we saw last year because it was so fractured. Like you can make an argument of like, tear that shit up. Right. And, and, and imagine this group starting anew um, because they really are in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, last year's team was Aaron Henry, one, two, three, four, then someone else. Uh, like th- right. that was the, the flow chart. Um, I wonder about COVID. Like it's so easy to look at some teams and say everything went wrong with COVID, everything else, just throw that year out. And if you were going through and like previewing every team in the country, there's dozens of teams that you could probably say mm-hmm. that some of those teams are going to continue on a downward trajectory. Some are yeah. going to bounce back. Michigan State obviously has probably as big of a program floor built into that as you can, but I, I think it'll be really interesting how some of those teams turn it all around and some of those teams just don't really. And I don't know, you look across the country and I don't know, read previews or whatever else. They're like, we said the same thing about Penn State. Um, mm-hmm. A team like Michigan, where I guess they had a, that long two week shutdown, but mostly like COVID didn't affect them, right? So do you say that Michigan was maybe better than expected because they were able to avoid COVID? Like, it's really hard to just adjust how all this stuff works out. And I do think there's probably going to be some, it's hard to ignore data that's there. And there are a lot of teams where you're going to say, well, wow, they were eight and 12 last year. They must really suck, but they're actually could be doing some things the right way and have a bounce back here. So it's going to be interesting. I think there'll be some teams that are misevaluated in the off season, not that there aren't already, but maybe just more than you would normally see because it's hard to just unsee bad results from last year, which was not a normal year by any situation. I mean, it's, it's worth remembering like, Michigan State had, or Michigan, I'm sorry, had the COVID pause, but mm-hmm. no one on the team had COVID. Exactly. You, you know, like they came back out of that break. They were fully healthy, man. They were ready, rip roaring, ready to go, dying to get back on the court. You know, Michigan State, you, you had guys who were recovering from COVID playing. Yep. And a I, lot of teams had that situation. And that's like, you can't ignore that. I mean, you can't ignore that. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that teams like, Michigan state probably hurt as much as anyone by playing in empty gyms all year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be like having the Breslin center as a for safety sure. net is a big Great advantage. And again, in sort of the, like you look at some of those games they lost last year, like the Purdue game, like I don't think that happens with fans, right? It's one of those things where games don't get put away as easily without fans in the building by the home team, right? Like the home team, you you can hang around and kind of let things go sideways in those situations. So a lot to unpack of, I guess, COVID's impact on last year and how things changed this year. I think we'll probably forget about it all one week into the year when we're just like rocking and rolling, ready to go. But I I think it's worth at least pointing out how this kind of plays out. End of the day though, there's still a lot of unproven pieces for Michigan state that are going to have to do a lot. And, when you look at these preseason polls, it's a lot easier to pick a team like Michigan or Illinois, who their best player is a proven commodity. And you look at Michigan state and you're talking about Tyson Walker, you're talking about Max Christie. Like they have a ton to, to do to fill up. And that's, that's kind of where I think Michigan state is picked about the right place, but maybe more than any team in the league has give either way in the final standings. Right. Um, As far as, where they could end up. Yeah. I mean, I, in terms of taking like a dramatic turnaround from last year, um, 
like, let's talk about who's going to be taking shots instead of other guys, right? Last year, Rocket Watts, Josh Langford combined 56 for 189 on threes. They combined to shoot just under 30%. Now those attempts are going to be by Max Christie, more going to Gabe Brown, who shot 42%. We don't even talk about that. Like, mm-hmm. Gabe shot 42% on threes last year and only took 81 threes, you know? He needed to play he, more. He he took well, yeah, but he took fewer threes than Rocket and Langford, and was a dramatically more efficient three point shooter. Um, so those shots for, that were taken by Watts and Langford are now to Max Christie, to Gabe Brown, to I'm sure Tyson Walker. Right? Um, that's a good thing. I mean, in terms of just getting there mentally, of like, wh- why does this team going to be significantly better? That right there. Is one of them. Yeah. The some of the big black holes, like you say, as far as inefficient offense came from Rocket Watts, 87 offensive rating, Josh Langford, 97 offensive rating. Um, AJ Hogard, he's back, but he has 78.3 offensive rating. But if you're replacing that with Tyson Walker, Max Christie, whoever else, like there's upside there too. There's room to improve. Um, and mm-hmm. as far as those shots. What you're losing though is Aaron Henry, who did some heroic work offensively when nothing sure. else worked. And that's what you yeah. don't necessarily have. Um, but maybe you don't need someone like that. And that's kind of the hope I would say for this team. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Aaron Henry playing kind of out of position too, almost for large chunks of time. I don't know what the hell his position is, but it always seemed like it was kind of a, a moving target. Didn't it? His position last year was everything that the team everything. needed. Yeah, um, do everything. Right. Figure out the rest. <laughs> yeah. I, Interesting. And I think it'll be really interesting just how this progresses in the preseason, obviously like getting back to the champions classic and it's going to be good. I think, I think Michigan state will be a lot better as the season wears on. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there's room for guys to grow into roles that could make this team better for sure. Where did we pick them? Did we pick them in the same spot? I I had them at above me. I had them at fifth. You had them at sixth. Um, And yeah, you know, that's, that is reasonable. Um, all right. You got anything else before we get out of here? No, we didn't really hit on Michigan much, but that's that's good. We've been talking for a well, minute. Michigan has media day on Friday. Yeah, we'll, we'll have be back. To, we'll, we'll come back next week and uh, we will talk about what we learned from Michigan media day. And if I make it over to practice at MSU, I can, I'll share some thoughts on that. Does that sound good? Sounds good. My man. Nice talking today. This is a great conversation. A great pod. It wasn't yeah. two hours. We got a little more balance. I think that's good. It's a it's a commute to and from for some happy listener out there. I'm sure. Do people still do that? Uh, I mean, all these cars are driving around. I think so. People are going somewhere um, or walking the dog, doing whatever. But uh, hey, we appreciate everyone listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe to UM Hoops. Be sure to subscribe to the Athletic. Tip your bartenders and servers.